Our second scripture reading for today comes to us from Psalm chapter 7. You can find it on your pew Bibles on page 847. 847. Psalm chapter 7. A Shagayan of David which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring an end to end, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it, sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. How many of you have heard of Horace Gray? No one. (laughs) He served as a Supreme Court Justice uh, from the years 1881 to 1902, so it doesn't surprise me you haven't heard of him. But before he held that high position, he served in the lower courts in Massachusetts, And there he ruled over a case where a defendant committed a violent crime. But because of a legal technicality, this man escaped conviction. Gray, being conflicted between this man's guiltiness and the strict rules of the law, had to give a verdict of not guilty. However, this man did not leave his courtroom without Gray getting in the last word. And here's what he had to say. I know you are guilty, and you know it. 
And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge, and that there you will be dealt with according to justice and not according to the law. Life doesn't always give you what you want. And sometimes it can seem like justice is just some fairy tale that's out there. It's an idea that's, that's marvelous and wonderful, but it, but it isn't really real. It's like a vapor that, that you can't grasp onto. Today, our, our psalmist seeks justice in a time when it seems like none can be found. Just like Psalm 6 from last week, it's, it's difficult to know for certain when David wrote this psalm. But from the context, there's pretty strong evidence that David was being chased by his pursuers. Now, in David's life, there were two major periods where he had to flee into the wilderness in order to survive. Once, before he was king, when, when Saul was pursuing him, and again, later in life, after he had committed adultery and tried to cover it up by murdering the husband. As a punishment from the Lord, David's son, Absalom, took over the throne, and David once again fled into the wilderness. But given that David is claiming his innocence in this psalm, it would seem like the former situation fits the song better. Plus, in the introduction, we see that David wrote this psalm concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Now, there is no mention of any Benjamite named Cush in the Bible except for in this psalm. But we do know that Saul was a Benjamite. Was this some type of code name for Saul? Or was this Cush a member of Saul's family? Maybe he was the one leading the pursuit, chasing after David. We can't be sure. But what we can know is that David's life was threatened. For he was being accused of something he didn't do. So he now pleads to his God to act justly and to rescue him. This psalm can be easily outlined. In fact, if you look in your pew Bibles, you will, you will notice that the NIV adds in spaces at the natural breaks. Like some of the earlier psalms that we read, David uses a chiastic approach. In other words, he, he works a theme inwards, and then reversing course works that same theme outwards again. In verses 1 and 2, we, we see that if we can get that up on there. The next one. There we go. In verses 1 and 2, we see that David seeks refuge by calling upon God's name. He looks to his God to provide salvation for him. And why should God do this? Because in verses 3 through 5, David declares his innocence. And as an innocent man, in verses 6 through 9, David pleads with God to rise up in righteous judgment against his enemies. Now, starting in verse 10, David begins to retrace his steps and work the same theme outwards again, this time demonstrating the outcome of God's justice. In verses 10 through 13, David proclaims, proclaims God to be that righteous judge. And since God brings about such justice, in verses 14 through 16, we see that the wicked are caught in their own traps, found to be guilty, 
And finally, in verse 17, David praises God's name because of his righteousness. With all that being said, let's, let's dive in, take a little closer look, and see how these things play out. Verses 1 and 2. O Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Once again, David provides us with a great example of what a Christian should do in times of trouble. Before he delves into his problem, he seeks his God. He calls on the name of Yahweh Elohe, O Lord my God. David reminds himself of whom his advocate is, the creator of all, the great I am. Before he focuses on the strength of his enemies, he will recall the mighty power of his sovereign Lord and ask for deliverance. But deliverance from whom? From all his pursuers. Taking a cue from his shepherding days, David compares his adversaries to that of a beast of prey. Just as a lion would pick apart the carcass of a sheep, so too would his enemies tear right through him if they ever caught up to him. David needed a shepherd, the shepherd, to protect him. Where do you turn to in your time of need? Do you look at your circumstances first, allowing them to overwhelm you and take you over? Or do you call on the name of your God, seeking his help first? Yet our psalmist doesn't seek rescue for no reason. He points to his innocence hoping that the, that the Lord will see how he has been wronged. Look at verses 3 through 5. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, and there is guilt on my hands, if I have done evil to him who is at peace with me, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Selah. In contrast to the sinful David that we saw in Psalm 6 last week, one who was rightly disciplined by his father, yet seeking God's mercy, here we see a man who wants justice. He doesn't want mercy, he wants justice. And he's a man who pleads his case, declaring himself innocent of the crimes he's accused of. So confident is he that his opponents are lying he is willing to give up his life if their claims prove to be true. He is like Job. He is that righteous man, bewildered by the circumstances he is facing. Now, don't mishear David here. He is not unaware of his own sinfulness. Yet his enemies chase him for unjust causes. And the suffering that he endures does not match any crime that he has committed. Often in Christian circles, we tend to think that simply because a person is following God's will and is obedient to God's commands, 
that, that somehow this will make certain that his or her life will be blessed beyond measure. And though you see this type of teaching more often within the health and prosperity churches, it's hard to get away from such thinking, particularly in America, where the majority of people are blessed beyond their goodness. But Scripture doesn't teach such a thing. In fact, Jesus claims the very opposite. In our first Scripture reading, uh, Matthew chapter 5, he he. he He's talked about people who are blessed. Look at Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here, Jesus tells us that there will be some who will suffer at the hands of men simply because they are faithful to God. Jesus calls them blessed, not because of what they will have in this life, but because they belong to the kingdom of heaven and have gained an eternal reward. Yet their lives in this world are ones of suffering and misery. Likewise, David is facing persecution for his righteousness. His life was in danger. So he sought out the righteousness of God. Verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. David believes that if God is provoked in his anger, then he will rouse from his slumber and justice will be delivered. Three times David urges God to move. Arise. Rise up. Awake. He desires for the Lord to take his throne and judge the earth. And look at these next verses. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. Our psalmist believes that once God has established his courtroom, all people will have to sit in judgment, including himself. David has faith that God will act. He will bring about that righteous ruling, one that will convict the guilty and vindicate the upright in heart. And he knows that, that the Lord's ruling will be just and true, for God knows the innermost thoughts of every man. There is nothing hidden from him. Every thought, every action in dark corners will ultimately be accounted for. And the results of such justice will be peace and security. The very things that David is searching for as he is being pursued by his enemies. So, David calls out to the Lord, Awake! Bring your justice swiftly. 
And then, just as Horace Gray gave that warning to that guilty man, that man who got off on a technicality, David gives warning to his enemies. He makes it plain to the wicked that God protects those he loves and pours out his wrath upon the wicked. Verses 10 through 13. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Those with integrity, those who demonstrate faith in God and are loyal to their Lord, God looks after them. The Lord protects his own. Yet David reminds his enemies that not a day goes by where God's punishments are not seen in some form or fashion. Now while his full wrath may be being stored away for that final day, God frequently lets loose his judgment as a warning for wicked men to repent. Yahweh is like a warrior who has a high ground. His arrow is not ready to strike. And if the wicked will not relent in their ways, disaster is sure to follow. Verse 14. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. David paints these evil men as pregnant women. Now, he isn't trying to slander them in any way. Rather, he is demonstrating the, the source of their evil, that their sin comes from deep within and emerges from their bellies and takes on a life of its own. Such men have, have no one to blame for their, for their actions but, their, but themselves, for their wickedness originates in their hearts. The Apostle James takes a cue from David's thoughts here and furthers them in his epistle. James 1, verses 13 through 15 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In our society today, people are always playing the blame game, looking for a scapegoat. No one is ever at fault. And the criticism, typically, it goes up right to the top of the totem pole. Modern psychology will tell a person that their parents are to blame for their issues and not themselves. 
when the market crashed in 2008, it was the government who was at fault, rather than the borrowers and the, the lenders who, who put the economy at risk by agreeing to such ridiculous loans in the first place. While we in America have perfected the act of blame shifting, this game has been around from the beginning. Genesis 3, verses 11 and 12. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Who did Adam blame? He mentions the woman, but it was God who put the woman there in the first place. Basically, Adam is saying, God, this one's on you. It's your fault. Who do you blame when you are caught in your sin? Do you realize that this evil comes from deep within? You can try to place the blame on others, and, and you may fool people by doing so. Perhaps you may even trick yourself. But God knows your heart, he knows your mind, and he is a righteous judge. David understands that, that one way or another, God's judgment will fall upon his enemies. And he is confident that, that God will carry out his justice, whether it be today or 10,000 years from now. Like a boomerang that's thrown out there, these wicked schemes, they will return to their source. God's ruling cannot be avoided forever. And this is why we see our psalmist rejoicing in the name of his God at the end of our song. Look at verse 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Though justice has yet to be handed out, David can shout for joy. For the, the promise of God's righteousness is evident within his name. He is Yahweh Elyon, Lord Most High, the Great I Am. He is the name above all names, and none can thwart his will. Similar to how Christians pray in Jesus' name, David now looks to the name of Yahweh as an assurance that his prayers will be answered. You see, the, the hope of David is an eschatological hope. It is a hope that in the end, God will work his justice. David cannot be sure of when God will rise up in his anger, but he does know that there will come a time when all will be judged. Friends, you will face injustices in this life, and it will seem to you like anarchy abounds while the wicked go unpunished. Your enemies may pursue you. They may even cause your death. And yet, you can cry out to your God 
for justice to be done. You can look to his name and rejoice, for he is righteousness. And when his justice awakes, woe to those who refuse to repent. Then again, maybe you are the one that pursues the innocent. You are like Cush the Benjamite, looking to harm your opponent. Let David's psalm be a warning to you. For God searches your mind and your heart. He knows from where your evil springs. And he will judge you accordingly. He, he sharpens his sword and strings his bow and makes ready his flaming arrows. If you do not repent. And let's be honest. In a very real sense, we have all been like Cush, the Benjamite. Each time you allow your anger to control your actions, you are Cush. Every time you use your tongue to defame another, you are Cush. Each time you play the blame game and, and shift it on another person or upon God himself, you are Cush. Brothers, sisters, David did not declare his innocence based on his own righteousness. No, he looked to God's righteousness. And he trusted that forgiveness would come to those who have repented of their sins. Such innocence can belong to you as well. You see, Jesus was pursued by his accusers. His enemies hunted him down and tore him to pieces like a lion. And though there was no guilt on his hands, no evil that he committed, he let his enemies overtake him and trample his life to the ground. And God arose in anger and tried his son according to the sins of the world. The righteous judge took his throne and declared a verdict. Christ was crucified in your stead. The deadly arrow pierced his side and he breathed his last. Why? So that you who are pregnant with evil might be rescued. So that, that the trouble you cause will not recoil upon yourself. And that the violence that you create will not come down on your own head. So that you can give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. And sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let us pray. Father, we confess that on our own, we will not stand in your courtroom. We cannot claim innocence.
Your justice would sweep us away if it were not for your son. We thank you for sending Jesus, the one who took upon himself our sins. He paid the penalty that we deserve. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. And may our faith be in your righteous name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.